what was he really famous for that like the studio really wanted him bad? For me, I'm just looking at this and I see Lethal Weapon and Mad Max. And was he actually that big of a of an actor in the 90s to like be sought out this much? Yeah, he was. You know why? Why? Because he was in Lethal Weapon and Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I finally watched Braveheart. Now Alon, I just, I think the question off the top, was William Wallace the first simp? Ooh. He fought an entire kingdom. Yeah. Just over, just over a lady, you know? Yeah. Um... Man, that's I never <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. Uh not because you shouldn't. Probably because that's not that <laughs> that's was not a joke. the that was appropriate a joke way <laughs> to 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 view this movie. No. Um well, you know, I've heard a lot about this movie. This movie has been on uh my must-watch list for a while and I, I feel like this is also like this is a perfect movie on why we started the podcast. Um, this was definitely probably in like my top 10 movies that when we started this thing three years ago, um, it was in my mind to do actually like <laughs> like right away. And, and so and so we just kept getting bombarded with different films we wanted to do with different themes matching each month, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but since we're approaching episode 200, I thought, you know, I really wanted to push to in doing this uh, movie before episode 200. And so, so that's why it is now episode 190. And we are finally reviewing Braveheart. I'm so happy. Obviously, I was only like eight when this was in theater. So I did not see this in theaters, um, but I've watched it several times. Uh, in my younger age, maybe a little too young to watch this movie. Although it's like, I it's don't not, know. It's not that bad, honestly. Like from everything I've heard about it, I was like, well, like for example, like back Dude in crushes 19... the guy's head alone multiple times. But yeah, I understand that. But like in 1995, I could see this being like one of the goriest things out there. But now today, where like we we make movies like these, just in a whim like like every other movie has this kind of gore if not more um and and like building it up to being like a gore fest and then watching it you know 2023 i was like oh okay this is like this is like normal well you know what the modern day equivalent of this is the northman right and i was reading a little bit that um like the real william wallace there's like i guess there's a little bit of controversy surrounding this movie because of its historical inaccuracies um, but I don't think there's a lot known about the real William Wallace, or at least that's what the, the screenwriter said that it was hard to find. So he took a lot of liberties. Um, but, uh, William, like from what I read, he was compared a little bit to a berserker, which is what like the guy in the Northman was to just, they kind of attack these villages and sack them, burn them to the ground, kill everybody. 
um, and so that he was not like the nice hero that he's portrayed in this. Um, but yeah, he he probably didn't have that kind of motivation that Mel Gibson had in this film. Yeah, I don't know. I it, it'd be interesting to read like the real true story about this. But I mean, Mel in several interviews um, talking about the movie was just like, yeah, I was just trying to make a good movie. You know, like we definitely took liberties in order to make a good movie. And I guess a lot of Scott's had a problem with it because of the portrayal of Robert the Bruce. And then uh, there were a lot of like English critics at the time that said that this was like anglophobic, which um, I don't know if English people know their history, but a lot of people have a problem (laughs) with the way England acted in the past. And then there were some people who were um, that said the movie was like movie was homophobic. And I was like, I mean, back in the 1300s and 1200s, Every, everyone people, was homophobic. People didn't like, yeah, they didn't like gay people either. Yeah. But I guess you, there, there, well, there was some controversy about whether or not Edward II was gay or not, because he did have like five sons. Um, but I don't know, making, I don't know that, that making that character gay makes the movie homophobic. I, I didn't read into what the arguments would be for that. But I mean, the point is, there's a lot of controversy around this film and then it just goes on to win five Oscars. Sure. Um, it's probably the most like, you know, the log line of when you do like a Mel Gibson. Well, when you talk just about his movies, it's like the first thing that would get brought up, I think would be Braveheart. Um, Cause he directed starred in it. And you know, it's just this historical epic. Um, watching it again this time. I mean, the first 45 minutes I think could have been cut down to 10 because um, it's really just like establishing like his motivation for why he does this. It, it, it's funny that it's like a movie that feels really long, but it's like, it's extremely well paced. Yeah, it is. It is very long in it, but it's also a movie that feels like it could have been longer, right? Like, mm. Yeah, I I see what you're saying because in some some area, like you know, I I've heard about the big speech he gives um, to motivate the Scottish army to move in on the on the English and to not accept the truce and the negotiations. Um, but I did not expect that to happen in like the first like 35 minutes into the movie. I thought that was like the the finale, you know. Well, it's 35 it's like 20 25 minutes into the movie like after his wife dies right like that's 50 minutes before is she it? dies okay yeah. okay so like my point is like if if you take the 50 minutes up until when she is killed is it really 50 minutes until she dies yeah it's really long like that back so my it's 45 maybe but 45 50 so it's 3 hour movie Two hours and 15 minutes are from that point on, and that's like my favorite part of it. Right. Like you could easily truncate that first part and get this to be like a two and a half hour movie, I feel like. So I watched this twice, one earlier this week and then one this, you know, right before we we sat down to record it. And I don't know about you, but like when you're watching a three hour historical epic, this is how I feel about Oppenheimer, too is that when you're watching it and you're taking in the information for the first time, you're taking it in without any context for anything happening in the future because you just don't know what's, you know, you know, you don't know what's happening. Um, but then when you watch it a second time and characters say specific things, little things here and there, 
you you you're like oh my god that's gonna play in at this part when this movie when this part comes up later and blah 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 you know etc etc and so i think this movie is like the perfect example of this when when you have the narrator who ends up being robert the bruce anyways um but if you if you have uh subtitles on you that's you already know that right off the bat but um right uh but him narrating like this is William Wallace and what I'm about to tell you, people have said this is not true, but the, the victors write the history books. Right. And so, and then, um, and then moving on from that, telling him how it's like, this is his father, this is his brother. And then the King Longshanks is like this type of guy. It sets up perfectly what to expect for the rest of the movie just just in the first like five minutes and so the part that i didn't quite like grasp 100 percent was why were all those um scots in that building and how how were they hung and stuff like that um and so like upon the second rewatch you understand much better that like longshanks is a fucking crook like he is like really conniving and cheats and and just a horrible all-around guy i mean you you get that like as you're watching the movie but like to understand the beginning of it you 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 don't need the context for the rest of the movie to understand really how bad he is um but i maybe you can clear this up and the second watch did not help me on this why were the wallaces late and also I thought that he said that they were meeting at some other guy's house after the meeting. So I was like, I was like, where is this? Where is everyone hung exactly? So I don't know why they're late. They're just happened to be late. I actually know they weren't invited to the meeting because they weren't really like landowners in the sense of like, they didn't get to go to the meeting. They were going to the dude's farm to find out about the meeting, what happened. And they get there and all the nobles that were there were killed by Longshanks, like all the all the ones that he betrayed. Okay. So and then after that, then they go off to fight and they get killed like immediately. Um, do you know what movie of uh Longshanks we've done before? Did you recognize uh, him? The actor? Um No, no. the historical figure. <laughs> uh no, what? He is the judge from a time to kill. And Oh, apparently Sean Connery was offered this role and he couldn't do it because he was doing something else. Obviously, Sean Connery is great. But like when I think of him, because he's like the king that comes back in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I believe. Yeah. Like I think of him as like a good king. So him. But this guy plays evil so well that like I actually think he's much better for this part than Sean Connery. Well, like all the context that you have when um, his son and uh, the French princess is getting married. Um, when when he's narrating it, and he's like, "Yeah, the the son," they didn't they don't say the son, the son is gay, but they're they're basically saying the son is gay. And then um, he's like, "The son is gay," and so the odds of him having a heir is rare. But he wants his rival, um, the king of France's daughter, to marry his son. All just so that, and I didn't catch this the first part, but also that he can get her pregnant. Well, they were like assumed that was the plan. But then I like the the longing stare from the prince to his lover, 
Um, and then the king like looks back and forth with like the most evil scowl. Yeah. Also, apparently in real life, um, Isabel was 12 when she got oh, married to Edward. Jesus. And I think he was really young, too, though. But I'm not sure if he was that young. Um, I think that this first 45 minutes is also it's probably it's like some of the most beautiful parts of the film. Right. So like his family dies. And then the little girl that becomes his wife later on comes and gives him a thistle and like, you know, basically he's like, and I, I love at like later on when he's like, I've loved you all my life. Like, you know, just the, the conversation that, that leads to later on when he was like, you know, I, I want five boys. And she's like, Oh, how are you going to do that? And it was like, oh, I thought you could help me with that. Um, and then when his uncle Argyle comes, <laughs> uncle Argyle just feels like a fucking Jim Henson character name, like who comes to take him off and, and train him in the ways of the world. Dude, um, I did not recognize Brian Cox with like long hair, like a scar down his eye. Like like when you're like an over character characterization of a character that that you're imagining, like a war war torn Scottish guy looks like Brian Cox is like his character in this is like um, like a cartoon almost. I um whether I would have recognized him or not, the voice just like gives it away immediately. He's got such a like distinct voice. Is he actually Scottish? Man, I don't know. Okay, okay, okay. One thing I found interesting is that Brendan Gleeson, who plays a Scot, is actually Irish, and the guy who plays Stephen, the Irish guy, is actually Scottish. <laughs> That's fun. That's fun. Brian Cox is Scottish. Okay. Yeah. So. I mean, it doesn't matter, right? Because like you said, that thing about Brennan Gleeson, but also like a few years later, uh, Mel Gibson plays a an American patriot ver- versus a, a Scottish patriot, you know? And also Mel Gibson is American, but was then raised in Australia. So his whole deal. Right. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. Real, real off. Um, so many years later, uh, William Wallace comes back and... Longshanks, in order to uh, to like keep Scotland at bay, is like, oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna give more land to the nobles, and they're like, well, if you give them more land, that's more taxes they got to pay. They're not gonna want that. And he's like, okay, well, I'll just just allow them to fuck all the new married women, and then that'll make them happy. And they're like, that will make them happy. <laughs> I love the disgust of the queen. Was like, ugh, like no one wants that. Well, the, the women certainly don't. Um, and then we actually see, so as William Wallace returns, we see the first wedding where this happens. Um, and it almost becomes a deal. And the bride's like, it's, you know, just, I don't want you to get killed over this. So um, we never see her again. I, I was just going to say, we, we, we do never see her again. I mean, her, her husband definitely dies, but we don't see her again. And then because of this, um, you and I talked about this, but uh, Mern in this is is very hot, and um, but be- and Mel Gibson, William Wallace recognizes this, and so he's like, I can't let anyone know that we get married. And there are a couple things in this movie that like parts of it that I always misremember when I watch this. Like one, I thought that that ugly guard that tries to like assault her figured out she was married, and that's why all this trouble happened. But no, he they, never, they never figured that out. And then they actually, you know, she gets assaulted. William 
prevents it and tries to get her to run off. But apparently on a horse, she can't make it away. Yeah, man. So he gets away. And Murin? Then- More like moron. Am I right? I mean. <laughs> Yikes. So then he uh, they kill her in order to get him. See, that's the part I don't get either, because remember when like the queen and her um, her handmaiden was was talking about how dreamy William Wallace is. And she was like, yeah, did did you hear? Of course, they're speaking French, but she's like, did you hear that he um, did all this because they they killed his wife and they got married in secret and they try to uh, steal the body of the grave of his brother and his father. But then he didn't fall for the trap and he carried her body somewhere secret. We see none of that. Like all of what they're talking about that he did, we don't see any of that. Well, I think too, at first you could almost say like, this is part of the legend of William Wallace. So in, in real life, William Wallace is supposed to be like six, five Mel Gibson's five ten, And, you know, at one point, one of the people's like, I thought you'd be taller. And he's like, yeah, I've heard that too. Um, and so you think that there's like just a lot of rumors and like, you know, just spectacle around him of people thinking he's, larger than life and so um you know when you first hear that story from the two french ladies talking about it you're like oh you know is this true or not whatever and then he sort of confirms it later on that like they killed her to get after me because at first you just the 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 noble or the leader of those guys in that little town was like you know this is the price for hitting one of the king's guards and even the ugly guard who was assaulting her kind of doesn't want to watch it because he's like I, you know, I, it's not like remorse, but it's it's it just I don't know. He can't handle it. Um, but to me, this is when the movie gets good. When he comes in. Yeah, th- this might be. I think the the battles are done. It's one of the best part of the movie, like a lot of. War movies, I think, suffer because the battles aren't shot very well. And I'm not saying that this is shot much differently than those, but I just thought it was very like it was done well. It was very exciting. It. But my favorite is this one where he just comes in. There's a lot of slow-mo as he's like coming up. He puts his hands up and and he's kind of like hiding too, like not really hiding, but like like when the guards are looking for him you see glimpses of him as he's like going through the, uh, the huts and the trees and stuff. And I, I thought that was really like a cool thing. Like almost he's like, um, he's like a, he's like a ghost coming in. Yeah. Yeah. And then as he comes up, puts his hands up and then just starts killing dudes. And I love, the look of the guy who killed his wife getting more and more worried and <laughs> yeah. more and more like, Oh fuck. And then you realize there's not many of these guys to protect him. There's like 20 guys and there's a ton of villagers like, and the villagers are joining up and then they're climbing the, the stronghold. And I think when he realizes he's, he's absolutely fucked is the, uh, is when the villagers are climbing the stronghold on the other side of it too. And 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 uh, Wallace has already taken care of the archers. So it's like he's done. I love, too, that then he just grabs the guy and doesn't say a word, takes him to the pole where his wife died and just slits his throat. Doesn't like 
Yeah, that's another thing, though. It's like it never established that Wallace knows his wife is dead at that point. I guess he he I guess he does because she never meets him in the in the grove. Well, you can just assume word got out that someone went and told him, right? Like he has all these people that came like he planned this. It's not like the villagers saw him coming in, killing people like it was a planned attack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, and then uh, he's like, you know, what? let's just keep this rebellion going. We're going to burn this entire fucking country down um, because of this. And you also see like. It's interesting, like Longshanks is leaving to go to France, and so he's leaving his son in charge, and that's why like things get so fucked up for a while. Yeah, when he comes back, he's like, hey, uh, what's the word? And he's like, oh, there's no word, father. And he's like, really? Because when I was in France, you know, <laughs> uh, winning uh, land for, for your future kingdom, I heard that uh, some guy just totally eviscerated our northern army. And then the son is like, well, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm taking care of that. Don't worry like, about it. I like when the messenger comes in and, the, <laughs> and Longshank's like, you can leave. And the guy's like, thank you. Like, I don't want to be in here for this because like, I'm delivering I, I, a head. I know it's in the bucket. Yeah. 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 And he's like, oh, York has been sacked. He's like, oh, oh, shit. Um. So we right after this, we meet Robert the Bruce and his dad and his his dad looks so much like um, Billy Crystal from Princess Price. <laughs> oh, that was what you meant by that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah um, I, I tried looking him up thinking I knew, I knew him from somewhere, but I, I did not. Um, but I, I was thinking, were you thinking like the makeup wasn't that great on him? Like it was obvious makeup. I, I don't know what a leper looks like in real life, but as he got progressively worse throughout the movie, I was like buying it more. I was like, okay, it's getting better now. Well, it's actually yeah, as it's getting worse. As um, as the ma- yeah, as the leprosy gets worse, the makeup gets better. I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't the focus of the the efforts of the the makeup crew was to get this guy to look great. So I don't I don't know. Um, what I what I like about this part is it it kind of foreshadows the rest of the movie where the dad is like an opportunist, right? He's like, you support the rebellion, I'll oppose it, and that's how we'll survive. And that's all I care about is setting you up to be king of Scotland because you should be the king. Um, we, I, I really like uh, Isabel's like servant girl, like... Her second and her right hand lady. Yeah. Who's like, yeah, I slept with someone on the war council. And she's like, oh, oh, he shouldn't have told you anything. And she's like, Englishmen don't know what a tongue is for. (laughs) Right. And then Uh, the the expression on her face is like, wow, wow. Well, definitely my husband doesn't. Well, not for me. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, if it wasn't like if they didn't build up this like romance between her and Wallace, I would think her and the the handmaiden got a little something something going on. That's in the X-rated version. I um one of the things that I always forget in this movie is I always thought that, and it's probably because I'm thinking of Gladiator, but I always thought that William Wallace like spurned her advances and was like, "No, I loved my wife." But no, that's. That's Russell Crowe in The Gladiator. In this one, he just beds her. And he's like, yeah. I, I felt like it was like, I know I'm going to die. So I got to I got to make this happen before. Well, I do. So, you know, I was thinking about that, too. On my second rewatch, I was like, he has visions of Mirren. And even when he's he's 
about to die, he envisions her. And I was like, yeah, but is that undercut by him sleeping with the the French princess? And I then I thought, no, not really, because she carries his heir now. And so in a way, it was necessary for him to do it in the sense that he kind of disrupts the king's um, like longe- longevity, right? Just imagine, just imagine in the afterlife. No, baby, I had to <laughs> sleep with her. To like, it was my duty. Yeah. <laughs> just like, okay, I get it. Um, my we next are getting set up for like the first and probably like the kind of the main. It's like the main good battle for the for William Wallace and his crew. And I, you know, he's, they're talking about how no one has ever set up against heavy cavalry. And then Mel Gibson's like, we'll make spears twice as long as a man. And I love some men are longer than others. And then the old guy, your mother's been telling stories about me again. <laughs> that like whole thing, line. that whole thing where they're in the forest and they're like, like almost like a refugee camp, right? Where everyone is kind of coming in and trying to be recruited by them. Very similar to the Patriot. Very similar to the Patriot. And, and um, every time this movie is like, Hey, your father was a warrior and a patriot or like the, the word patriots getting thrown around. I'm just like Mel Gibson's just like, I am the patriot motherfucker. Well, it was like seven years later. And I think they only used the word patriot once. I don't know. It was getting... twice. It's twice. Mm, it's twice. So they're in the, they're in the highlands, right? Is that what it's, is that what it's called? I mean, there are highlands in Scotland. They're somewhere in Scotland. And, um, an Irish guy and a Scottish guy come to join and uh, the Irish guy is talking to God and they're like, are you talking to the almighty? And he's like, an Irishman must talk to God in order to find an equal. It's um, a, it's a great twist here because it's setting up the, the Irish guy is like a, a lunatic. And then the Scottish guy, this like, he has like a present for Wallace from his wife, like this totally normal guy. And then this flip happens and I, I guess in like, I noticed this in my second rewatch. It happens immediately. Like literally in the next scene, you have Wallace hunting the deer. And then the two guys approaching Wallace, both looking like they're going to kill him. But Wallace only sees the Irish guy. And in fact, the Irish guy is saving Wallace from from this Scottish guy. And um, it, why do you? I think Wallace hesitated shooting him because he saw that he had his his uh, sword like holding the the blade of it instead of the hilt. He was like, something's up. I don't know. It all happened so fast. I think the Irish guy got the sword off quick. And then once William could see that it was going past him, he sort of backed back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, didn't pull back, did the opposite of pulled back. Um, <laughs> right. Like, just didn't yeah. let that just didn't, arrow didn't do fly. anything with it. Yeah. Um, I, I love afterwards, too, when he's like, I didn't like him anyway. Wasn't right in the head. Is also <laughs> just like a great, great line. Um, and he also, the Irishman, does this thing where he talks about it's my island, you know, and they say you're a madman. He gives this laugh, but the my island thing definitely comes up uh, later. And now we're at Sterling, which is the first battle. It's where we get the epic speech and the 
famous blue paint on his face. And this is just a really great scene all around. It is. I mean, I so I guess it happened later in the movie than I thought, but earlier than where I originally thought it would happen. Um, as much as this scene talks is talked, it's like the most famous scene in the entire movie. Um, and they, uh, it's, it's, they're like one of the greatest motivational speeches in movie history. It's not that long. Honestly, he comes in, he's like, look, you can go away, you can retreat and live, but ask yourself, you know, would you look upon yourself from now till then and have your regrets, you know, and then it's like, they can take our lives, but they can't take our freedom. Our freedom. Um, David, do you know what gives me freedom? What's what's that? Coffee. Yeah, I love coffee. And if you like coffee as much as we do, then check out our affiliate partner, Bones Coffee Company. They have over 30 unique flavors. And one of them, David, is called Highland Grog. And the art on the packaging is uh, an homage to this movie, Braveheart. So the link is uh, down in the description. And you can use code IFWBONES at the checkout for 10% off your first order. It's BonesCoffee.com, I-F-W-B-O-N-E-S. After he gives the speech and they charge, they, well, they don't even charge, right? They sort of just stand there and they wait for the cavalry to come because they've blocked the arrows and they just wait and wait and wait till the last second. I love the camera work of like the camera coming right up on Mel Gibson and them. And then you see the arrows raised. Like well, the so hold on. Raised. you have the yeah, that's true. You have the negotiation that Mel Gibson, <laughs> William Wallace, um, totally fucks. Right. They, he he like um, he's like, kiss my ass, basically. Um, but the other noblemen. So I wanted to mention this part specifically because it sets up the fact that the other noblemen's are not for the cause as much as William Wallace's. And so that sets into the to the audience's head that they can basically go either way at any point during this movie, which they do. In this battle, you kind of think, oh, you can't really trust those nobles, right? Like you can't trust them to flank. Like when he tells them flank and come around, you're like, oh, they're just not going to help. And then they do help and they win the battle. And then later on, you're like, oh, well, they helped the first time. And you're like, oh, they're they're leaving this time you know i mean they're fucking him over yeah um and so yeah but like when he- when they have the upper hand here and they're like going to like i don't know what you call them like fortresses like the the bastillion bastillion i don't know battalion battalion no that's not what i'm looking at that so it's like you know the the fortified forts <sighs> Whatever, man. That castles? each, yeah. Nah, but they're not like whole castles, right? They're just like they're like where the um, where the lords and 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 people stay, and so they're after this battle, they're just like kicking ass. They're just going from town to town, just totally winning against the English. Um, my favorite part is like the little group of re- rebels that are running away from the English guys that like basically lead them into a trap. And then mm-hmm. all of the uh, Scottish guys end up 
surrounding them on the on the just throw a rock at them to get their attention like and yeah fucked yeah but but yeah no i mean the battle is great all all the all the fighting choreography is amazingly amazingly well done the only thing i'm confused about is like how do they make those horses like not just like the stunt horses that fall i understand how they do that they just train the horses to fall but like the perspective they play with with the fire like people are on fire like the horses are on fire but like it's it's a perspective play and then they just stab the horses and but it must be like models like fake but it looks so real it was fake horses and apparently they had an issue with like animal rights groups and they like had to prove to them like hey we didn't kill any horses so it was all fake horses this 1995 hollywood production takes just fucking kills horses makes them into glue later yeah i don't know um i mean the horses did look real like i think they did a good job with it even the horse that like he jumps out of the castle into the water and it's like clearly has to be a fake horse at that point i think the, the horse the horse play is very good um so they win this battle there's this one part where he chops the dude's head off um and it clearly like at the last second changes into a dummy and you just see like the whole thing collapse as like mel gibson chops its head off um and then the next major thing they do is they head to york and this part is pretty cool where they're like they've created this battering ram that they're trying to get through the door and then the english pour like hot oil and then they light it on fire and it starts like oh the scots kind of retreat a little bit until wallace is like well, if we go up there and now we have a battering ram that's on fire, like we're clearly going to get in. <laughs> then the, they do. So we're, we took this a little out of order because we, we talked about the king coming home from France, talking to his son about taking they take over York. But this is where they take over York. Right. Um, it, it, it establishes that very quickly because it shows this very weird looking dude. Um, and then you see his head in a bucket later on and you know, it's that dude because the guy looks so specific. Um, you, you make that instant connection. I think all redheaded Lord Farquaad. (laughs) Exactly. There's this, there's this battle earlier and it's actually, I think right before it's right before the, the first main battle. And it has one of my favorite moments in the movie is the guy whose wife was taken by that lord for the Prima Nocturne. Ne- Primo Prima Noctra. Noctra, thank you. Um, he takes his wife, takes the guy's wife into his bed on their on their first night of their wedding. And um, they infiltrate that fortress by dressing up as the Englishman and basically takes over the whole thing real quick. And then Wallace is like, hey, you kill him because he fucked your wife. And the guy is begging for his life. And he goes, I was just doing my deed as a nobleman, as a lord. And the guy goes, and I'm doing my, <laughs> I don't know what accent that was. He's, and I'm doing my duty. And I am husband. doing my duty as a husband. And just fucking kills him. Like bashes his head in. It's my favorite part of the movie. It's pretty fucking good. Uh, we also skipped that uh, he gets knighted at one point. And like then the noblemen are like, oh, since we knighted you, who should be king? And they start arguing again. He just walks away. Basically, like, I don't give a fuck about any of this. And then Robert, the Bruce comes up to him and he's like, you're the leader, Robert. Like you have to you have to do this. And he's like, and men will follow courage. So they'll follow you if you lead them. I think it's just kind of a very pivotal point in the movie. Like 
Robert the Bruce is kind of the one who has like the development in this movie um, and sort of becomes like the he's almost the, at the very end. He's almost the main character. So Wallace's character arc is like he just wants to be a family man, kind of quiet. And uh, he gets thrown into this um, situation um, or they kind of they kind of force him into the situation. But Robert the Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. Bruce, yes. Bruce. Um, he has like the most character arc, in my opinion, because he goes from this like sniveling kind of coward guy who wants to do nothing to actually like leading the rebellion in the end. Well, it's also my opinion because I said the same thing. So, um, so we talked about how uh, Longshanks learns that York got sacked. He throws the dude out the window. Um, so he then says he's going to offer him a truce and he's like, who should I send? If I send myself, he's going to kill me and he'll take all of England. If I send my son, he's going to kill him. And then he could very well take all of England. Um, so he's like, so I'm going to send Isabel, the the wife, Isabella. And, um, you know, she, she goes and she's like, you killed a peaceful city. And he's like, you don't even understand what that guy used to do. He hung innocent women, children. And she kind of looks over at the guy and he says, I believe in Latin. Oh, he's lying. He's a savage. French. He, no. No? Because th- then right after that, he says, we can do it in French. He says, in French, I can talk in French too. Um, okay. So I'm pretty sure it has to be Latin. And he, he says, I do not lie, but I am a savage. <laughs> um, yeah. And and then uh, and then he talks about how the last time Longshanks offered peace, he killed all these people in a barn, and then he killed my father. Um, and he's like, I don't know. <laughs> he says, uh, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. I see her strength in you. So I guess that's the point where you know that they're going to bang uh, <laughs> is right then and there. Yeah, I mean, they set up this romance nicely because she keeps helping him throughout the thing, even her handmaiden. Well, even like before she even meets him, he they're talking about how like he's the biggest simp in the world. Like you said, right. It's like, he is doing all of this because he lost. I, his. I said that jokingly. <laughs> he's doing all of this because he lost his wife. And uh, they're just kind of smitten by that. They're like, ah, oh, true love. Not that I know what that is like. Um, but they're they're already having like their little their little fantasies about him. So when they meet him in person and he's not like half bad looking and he's like knowledgeable, he's like intelligent, too. Um, yeah, she's like, oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. And so she goes back to Longshanks and is like, yeah, he doesn't want the truce, but he waits for you to show up as a man. And then Longshanks is like, well, we're going to have the Welsh circle here. The Irish come from here and French people from France come over here. And his son is like, that'll take weeks. And he's like, no, I already already started the process before I sent your wife. And then he's like, well, what about the money I sent? She's like, oh, I left it. And he's like, ah, women, you can't send them to do anything. And she's like, I thought it would it would show your your grace or your your greatness to the people. And he's like, my greatness will be demonstrated when I turn that entire fucking country into ash. Um, he's pretty brutal. In this it movie. makes it makes no sense how the the English and the Scottish are portrayed in this because it it almost makes it feel like the Scottish 
are a bunch of pushovers that like let the English, you know, have their way with their their land. And then the English just look incompetent in the way like they're a bunch of like sniveling idiots. Right. So it's like, how can one take over the other? And then and I, I think this movie portrays them that way, because as soon as William Wallace walks onto the scene, he makes. He makes them look worse by just like being great at everything. Well, I mean, you can have these sort of systems set up over centuries and then they they fold, right? Because in the movie, what the Scots gain their independence, it's was it thirteen fourteen? Is that what it says? So yeah. I don't yeah. know if that's in real life, but um I'm sure it's at least probably the one thing they got accurate. Um so I mean, I think that's kind of the point of like, you know, these people that are put in charge are only put in charge because they're popped out of the person that was in charge before them. So like, there's no like, there's there's not elections. Although maybe elections wouldn't choose the best people either. Um, but back in the movie, so Isabella hears this and she's like, I gotta go warn him. So she sends her her girl, and her girl, I guess, is kind of smitten with uh with uh, young Gleason over there. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully he got a little piece of that at some point. You know, he lives, so yeah, it's a good chance. And then Stephen's like, don't worry about the Irish. It is my island. And I do like the payoff for that, even though apparently that's like not what happened. Um, yeah. I think it's good for the movie purposes. I wondered if that was happening. And the the king was like, oh, I have like, we're going to throw the Irish at them and they're going to, you know, die, of course. But who cares? They're Irish. And then as they're running up, I was like, they're they're really milking this running up scene. And so I was wondering, I was like, are they just going to like come together in handshakes at the end? And they do. And I was like, yeah. It's awesome. And this is like, uh, it's a, this is when it's kind of tough because you actually feel like the way it's portrayed in the movie that Wallace would have won if the nobles had joined him. Maybe. I mean, they take out most of the cavalry and they do that fire thing that no one was expecting. So they've sort of got them surrounded by fire. And then if the nobles come, you know, it's just reinforcements. I, I really like how this whole William Wallace is like this master's tactician strategist is just like Brian Cox takes him in and he's like, I'm going to show you how to work one of these picking up a sword, but you have to prove to me that you know how to work one of these pointing to his head. And so everything is like, yeah, he's great at fighting and he's like brute strength kind of guy, but he has all this knowledge from doing his like pilgrimage around Europe, all this knowledge on like how to get a one over on, on people using his smarts more than the sword. You know, apparently King Edward, who was Longshanks actually like was a great military tactician because of like fighting in the crusades. And so, Oh yeah. Uh, What, what William Wallace and his people needed was actually like the Spartan phalanx, you know mm. what I mean? Where the shields, where they put them all together, and so there's no room for an arrow to go through. Probably needed bigger shields. But yeah, I don't think the little wood things they had would have worked. <laughs> I um, I do like just to show how evil he is. The uh, when the guy's like, "Oh, should we send the arrows?" He's like, "No, send the Irish. Arrows cost money. Dead bodies don't cost anything." Did you like how? I don't even think it was this. It was the first battle, but the the Irish guy was like. 
the arrow goes through his uh, Wallace's little shield, and he he turns to the uh, Irish guy, and the Irish is like, "God told me I'm going to get out of this, but you might be yeah. fucked." Yeah, that was good. <laughs> um, so then Wallace calls in the nobles; they retreat. Uh, Longshank sends the archers to kill his own men. Then they send, uh, then they send to the cavalry, and he's like, "Bring Wall, bring me Wallace alive if possible, dead, just as good." Like he he's so great in that role as Longshanks. Did you suspect that to be Robert the Bruce uh, I, in the helmet because he kept like the close-ups kept cutting to him and he kept looking around and I was like, that's either a guy who is going to fucking betray the king or that is a guy who is gonna betray. Like I'm like, that's someone. I don't think I figured it out when I first watched this, but I was also young, so I'm not sure. Um, in retrospect, it's probably fairly obvious of who it, it had to be him. I guess. Was it obvious that that when the king got upset about the head in the bucket, that he was going to take the the prince's lover and throw him out the window? When he said, oh, you're a military tactician. Okay, well, let me talk. And just throws him out. <laughs> um so then Longshanks is like, all right, we got this one. I'm going to I'm gonna head out. And William Wallace heads after him. And then Robert the Bruce decides to joust him off of his horse. William Wallace feigns that he's been hurt and then pulls Bruce's helmet off and is like, you can just see the hurt in his eyes. And so much that like Robert the Bruce later on is like, I could see how hurt he was. It really sucked to look at that. <laughs> his father was like yeah i'm dying from leprosy but your the expression on your face is much worse than mine and and he was like tormented by this like the guilt that this dude felt and it's so surprising watching this movie again how much they aged him up from after that point it's like kind of a young guy and he's like he has all this like dark hair and his beard and his hair and then like as he's like being guilt worn about what he did and, and like sleepless nights and and bodies everywhere, and then you look at him at by the end of the movie, he has like a bunch of gray in his beard, and it's it's just like it aged him so badly. Well, then after after William is you know Stephen comes and picks him up, and I'm surprised that like all the people that were chasing to go and kill William Wallace like weren't mad at Robert the Bruce for clearly helping him escape, but um, Robert the Bruce just walks through the battlefield and sees all the dead Scots that he helped kill. Right. It's like, what am I even trying to become king of? If I'm just going to allow all these people to die. Not even Scots, but Englishmen too. Remember because he, uh, he's not English. He only cares about the Scots. (laughs) Yes, I know. But, but um, it's, it's all of the Englishmen died because the king sent for the air for the archers to shoot in the crowd and he didn't care who it hit he's like some of our men will be hit and he's like yes some of theirs too he's just so good i don't think i don't think this movie gets better if you have um sean connery playing that part i don't think it's better no i mean like you said you kind of associate sean connery as a good guy even when he's playing a villain he's kind of an anti-villain yeah um yeah so. so after this, Robert the Bruce is like, I will never be on the wrong side of history again. And then uh, William Wallace goes on a journey to just kill all the noblemen that fucked him over. And uh, the one guy like, has a dream 
I was so fucking confused, dude. I was so confused because first of all, it was dark. And I was like, is that Robert the Bruce? No, it's not. But the guy has a dream and then something like even more ridiculous happens to him than what he was dreaming. He gets his face, his uh, face smashed in with his mace. Yeah, it's what he deserved. Um, And then he jumps out of the window on his horse and uh, then he kills the other guy and throws it on the table. And Robert the Bruce just sort of was like laughing about like, yeah, he's going to kill us. He's going to kill all of us. Um. And then Longshanks sends another ambush, but one one thing that that I uh, noticed more in the second watch of this is that Robert the Bruce is keeping his father's leprosy a secret, right? Uh, because 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 the two noblemen he talks to at the beginning of the movie, they're like, "Oh, your father's in France," and he's like, "Yeah, he's in France," but he really is just like locked up in a tower. Yeah, I think that's probably it. He probably doesn't want people to know because you know but but my question is is upon. my question is is that when robert the bruce is trying to mend things as he royally fucked it over with with wallace betraying him like that he's trying to mend things and he's like hey we're gonna have this thing why don't you come over we'll we'll figure things out and then you find out that his father is now betraying wallace again um how does his father get word out that he that of this hatching this plan? He, he oh. writes he writes notes and just makes it out to like oh it's from France or whatever. He just gives it to a dude to go take it to Longshanks. Okay, I don't know. He okay. Calls him on a cell phone. Um, <laughs> yeah, he has, he's got his ways. Um, he bangs Isabella. We just we just, we're just gonna skip over that part. Um, and then he falls into a trap and Hamish and Steven are both like, this is a trap. And he's like, yeah, but I got to try. And then it's clearly a trap and he is caught. I feel so bad for Robert the Bruce, though, because he's not the one who set the trap this time. Yeah, but at least he, you know, William probably knows, you know, he's not as hurt this time about, you well, know, he gets pretty fucking hurt, but he's not as hurt that, you know, his friend didn't betray him this time. This guy that he thought like you can lead these people so yeah um and then yeah we get you know this uh religious figures like confess you get a quick death or uh you know we're gonna punish you or purify you through I pain think you call they're a cardinal i think that's what it is you call them whatever you want okay um and william's like i never swore allegiance to this king and they're like that doesn't matter and he's like all right well i guess it's gonna be uh the pain and she begs him she yeah. begs him to to and he's like nah i'm not gonna do it i don't want a quick death and you know i can't ask for mercy she even she, goes to the king and she tries to beg him and then the prince is like wow you fancy this guy and then she's covering up she's like nah, i mean i fancy she, she should have been like if you saw him you'd fancy him too <laughs> <laughs> that's why the prince was like at his father's side the entire execution because the prince would have called it off too you're like, oh man, look at him. Um, and uh, you know, the, the prince gives this line before he lost his power of speech, his last joy would be outliving Wallace. And so the princess hears, Oh, he can't talk. And she goes over and tells him, I have a child that's not your son's. I fucked someone else. Yeah. And now that child is gonna take over. And she doesn't explicitly say it was Wallace's. 
but I think the king probably figures because like who else could it have been? Um, but it's like, why didn't she not tell him? That would have hurt him even worse. Did you find it strange that the first time she like went over there to like have like a meeting with Wallace about um, peace, um, like a truce, and she comes back to the king, and the first thing the king says is like, "Oh, princess, my son's loyal wife." I was like, "Why? Why? Why use the word loyal? You know something's up, king. Like, you you know what you're doing." I think because he knows like his son is at least portrayed in this movie is his son's gay. And like, yeah, I mean, he kind of he's pretty up up with it, knows the deal. So um, we also there's this famous line that when he's talking to Isabella before his execution, every man dies, not every man really lives. And a lot of people just attribute it to this movie. But it's from a famous poem. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world by William Ross Wallace. No relation to William Wallace. <laughs> no relation. No, um, the death scene is pretty brutal, but apparently it was much more brutal in the original cut. And they were very worried they were going to get an NC-17 rating. Um, also, he actually hung himself a little bit and he said that he passed out. And when he woke up, just everyone was like standing over him, making sure he was still alive. But do you know what they're what they're doing to William Wallace behind those guys when he's like, gasping as they're clearly cutting into him when he's laid out on the table yeah uh-uh. so what they do is uh-huh. they cut his groin open oh cut out his penis and balls oh and then they reach up in there and start pulling out intestine oh that's that's what they do to him is, and is what i yeah and apparently the first version just fucking showed it what <laughs> that's what i read no <laughs> i mean now the fact that you don't show it it's like i guess you just don't know what happens i assumed he was getting like disemboweled like pieces of him were getting taken out that's like I, what i've always thought um yeah he I, was through his penis <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> some are big, some are bigger than others um what i what i think is interesting about this part is that you know, so he's when he's walking in, the English are throwing things at him, yelling at him, calling him a traitor. Um, well, not a traitor, but just like a fucking terrorist, basically. And um, towards the end, like these tortures never get this far. People start begging for mercy. And they're like all the crowd is like, mercy, we don't want to watch this anymore. Like, please, please. And he won't say it. And then we get the yeah. famous thing where he's like, oh, the prisoner wants to say a word. Freedom. That's pretty good. Should have lasted a little longer. Um, and I also like Longshank dies as he says this. So Longshanks did not outlive him. And uh, and then we see his head. We don't see his head get chopped off, but we see the handkerchief drop as his head is getting chopped off. I thought that was such a cool way of doing it. Did you notice in the movie too, throughout, whenever a main character, a beloved main character is dying, we don't see the gore. But when a evil character is dying... Uh, they spare no expense. So like when, when um, Mirren yeah, no. was, Mini- I get you. Okay. F- fuck the English. That's what we're saying. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean when, so yeah. And, and I, it's funny too. Cause like Mirren gets her throat cut and we don't see it. And it's like, Oh, what kind of movie is this? And then like 10 minutes later, we see the guy who cut her throat, get his throat cut and we see everything. So we're like, Oh, okay. They're just not wanting us to like see her in that light. You know? 
Yeah, yeah. I um, I I don't know. Yeah, what the what the the point of that choice is, but yeah, it, it is interesting the way they do it. I think it's probably just he uh, Mel Gibson himself had to edit some stuff out of this to avoid the NC seventeen rating because he even knew like I took it pretty fucking far. There's this one shot where I think it's Gibson, maybe Gleason, but he takes like a like a bat and and hits someone over the head with it and crushes their skull and all this blood comes flying out of the helmet. And I'm curious, I was like, okay, does the bat have a blood pack? So when you hit it against something, that's where all the blood comes from? Or is it a dummy? And it's filled with a blood pack, so when you hit that, it explodes inside the helmet. The the it was such a like a cool shot. It just stuck out to me. There's just a quick ending to this movie. I love the line from the one English guy. Hope you washed your ass this morning. It's about to be kissed by a king. Um, and then Robert the Bruce is like, "Hey, you fought." This part is kind of doesn't make sense to me. He's like, "You fought with Wallace. Fight with me." But it's like, why are Gleason? and Steven there if they're not going to fight like why are they there to support Robert the Bruce after he had like fucked over their friend just like very you know a short time ago I guess things were explained and and maybe like it was the point of like because what are they doing they're going there for like a negotiation tech truce thing but it's like he and and this is the part I'm talking about where Robert has his character arc where he would be there just for negotiations, but then he has like a change of heart where he's like, nah, this isn't what my boy William Wallace would do. William Wallace would fucking kick their asses. So then he's like, yeah, let's go. Let's just fucking, let's just fight it out. And I love the, um, the look on the guy's faces. They're like, Oh, Oh, they're coming at us right now. Okay. We didn't even mention way early in the film how all the Scots lifted up their kilts to show their penises. And you saw some cock, too, from far off. It was nice. And then the the one guy lifts his... They lift their kilt to show their asses after that. And the one guy, like, didn't get the memo that the arrows were coming. He was way, way too into it. Way too late. Um... And then we get the little thing at the end that in 1314, uh, they won their freedom, I guess, in this supposed to be in this battle. So I did look it up, and that is the year that they had that battle, and they did win. And then I think six years later, a declaration of truce signed by the Pope was like established, and that's when they officially became free. But it was 1314, and it was that battle. It's funny how all this is like, you know, with... Um, with I, I I guess you would call this a, a biopic, right? But yeah. um, with like this character is more of legend than of real life, just because how far it dates back and how like the documentation works. But something with like Oppenheimer, where you have characters who I say characters, but who like you have actual real people who are. Uh, Either they're still alive or their sons or grandsons are still alive today. And yeah, um, you have like them being like, hey, this movie that I like it, like it portrays my grandfather greatly or I didn't like this part about it or, you know, whatever, whatever. And then things are coming out now where like Oppenheimer's relatives are like, I like this. I don't like this. And 
for this movie, I wonder if it's like, what would his ancestors think about how this whole thing is being portrayed? Not just like the Scots and the England and the English and the Irish as a whole, but I mean like the specific family members. It's like, would they like it? Or would they be like, nah, <laughs> he was much taller than than Mel Gibson. <laughs> It's like a Jack Reacher situation. Yeah, I don't give a fuck what they think. It's a badass movie. Won five Oscars. So, <laughs> um, so a couple things. Uh, so the studio would not make this movie if Mel Gibson didn't star in it. Um, and then like there was like he asked Terry Gilliam if he wanted to direct it because he was going to have to star in it, and Terry Gilliam said no. And then at a certain point, Mel just wanted to direct it, and he wanted Jason Patrick to play William Wallace. And once again, the studio was like, no, um, Daniel Day Lewis, Liam Neeson, Christopher Lambert, Jeff Bridges, and while uh, Robin Williams were considered for William Wallace. And then Mel Gibson at one point wanted Brad Pitt to play William Wallace, which would have been cool besides like just the accent work that Pritt that well has struggled with we've all seen snatch i think he can pull it off you know i mean you know that's welsh right yeah i don't know if he's got the range to do this the thing with mel gibson too it's like i'm looking at his at his filmography and what was he really famous for that like the studio really wanted him bad for me i'm just looking at this and i see lethal weapon and mad max and was he actually that big of a of an actor in the 90s to like be sought out this much? Yeah, he was. You know why? Why? Because he was in Lethal Weapon and Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I would you say that this movie Braveheart like really escalated his career like greatly? Well, also because of the directing too. I mean, this one Best Picture and I think Best Director. So I think this also led to obviously like these, the more roles that he did, but then just like your apocalyptos and stuff like the other directing that he did um, before the personal life sort of got in the way of, of that part of it. Cause he, yeah, he was also a really big, like Mad Max lethal weapon. That was like early, early eighties, mid eighties. And uh, I think of him as more of a early two thousands, movie star i guess because he was in like that's because um, you're fucking young you're born yeah, in the yeah. 90s like that's why like yeah when i was 10 that's when mel gibson was mel gibson um at one point mel uh no uh mel gibson had to turn down james bond in goldeneye due to this film which i'm curious if that's real but that would have been pretty fucking interesting if he had gotten that that would have been weird but no i mean for when you when you say Mel Gibson to me, I associate him with like the Patriot and signs. Have you seen what women want? Yeah. I love that movie as a kid. It's probably really bad now. Probably, probably shouldn't say that. Um, probably get canceled for liking that movie. Um, but I, 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 I like it. Of, I think all of the politics of what women want are still play today. So, Oh, okay. Uh, overall, what'd you think of Braveheart? <sighs> I really liked it. I, I it did not feel like a three hour long movie. Like you said, I think it has to do with the pacing is really well done. Um, and it by the end of it, though, I think you're 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 on this life journey with this character. So by the end of it, w- while you think back to like, oh, his childhood, I guess it does feel like you've been watching this for 30 years. 
<laughs> but it, the epicness of it, it's like in some in some parts of the movie, it's not as grandeur as as one would think. But in other parts of the movies, it like goes above and beyond. It's like grandioseness with the battles. And I think where this movie shines really is how ex- like extreme and choreographed the battles are um i i i give it like a nine out of ten i did not ask for numerical rating from you i think um and i said this something similar in gladiator so like the first time you watch these movies i just think the whole thing is great and then when it becomes this movie that you rewatch time and time again, that's when like the length of them sort of plays and you're like, okay, I don't need to watch this beginning part. I'll get to the parts that I like. Right. Cause I just yeah. I've memorized this movie. So like, yeah, when you first watch Braveheart and Gladiator, like I don't think the length, I think they're so well done that the length doesn't hurt them at all. It's just upon rewatch after rewatch that you're like, I don't need to, to deal with this whole thing. I can't wait for you to see Oppenheimer so I can have your opinion on the, the three hour watch time, what your feelings are on, on it. Is it a good enough movie to like, keep, keep your interest in, in the full three hours. Can I ask a numerical rating for Braveheart from you? Uh, 8.9 out of 10. The only length I'm concerned about with Oppenheimer is the length of Killian's cock. So thanks to everybody for listening to another episode of I finally watched. This is David. And this is Alon. And I, finally watched Braveheart. You sounded like the fucking crocodile hunter in the beginning of that. (laughs) 